Welcome to the latest in our podcast series, In the Know. Today, we'll be focusing on the world of investment, and I'm very pleased to be joined again by Janet Mui. Welcome, Janet, and a Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, Neil, and to everyone. Thank you for having me. No, very pleased to have you back as a, as a guest again. Janet will be familiar to a number of our listeners because um, Janet's a frequent guest on the BBC, Sky News, Bloomberg, but um, has been made extremely famous by becoming a commentator for the Lucas Fetters in the No podcast. So thank you for that, Janet. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right. Um, what we'd like to look at, I suppose, first thing is to have a quick look back over the last 12 months, Janet, as being a good place to start and perhaps take a look at the next 12 months, because it's fair to say it's been quite eventful. Well, it was a phenomenal year last year, actually, in terms of risk assets. So I'm just going to quote some figures here to show you the extent of how positive the markets were uh, for the risk asset. For example, last year, if you take into account the price returns and the dividends, uh, U.S. equities returned 28.1%. U.K. equities actually did very well as well, a total return of nearly 20%. European equities did well too, 17.6% total returns. So it really was a phenomenal year for equities, but actually they, they still didn't top the leaks table. The best returning asset classes uh, is commodity. So it was up 39% last year. And the reason why Marquez did so well was because of a number of factors. Actually, we discussed that uh, last year in the podcast, which is that we have the economic reopening, which was very helpful. We had one of uh, the strongest year of expansion, uh, basically. For example, UK was growing at nearly 7%, US at 5.6%. So these are really strong growth rates. And also, of course, we had very supportive monetary and fiscal policy, which had been throughout uh, 2021 being very, very supportive, actually. Of course, we start to see some of that dialing back down. But as a whole, we, we still saw very, very strong support. So again, that was very helpful to markets. And also, um, you know, the year wasn't without volatility, actually, because we had very strong inflation numbers. Um, throughout the year, and there was some pullback. But overall speaking, I think um, market participants were just optimistic on the fact that we we had a vaccine solution and we are normalizing. And also corporate earnings had been strong, despite the worries about supply chain, about inflation. So overall speaking, it was a phenomenal year. On the flip side, of course, Bonds uh, was the worst performing asset classes. So if you have invested in developed market government debt, you would have lost about 6% last year. And that was really because bond yields had picked up in an environment of better growth and high inflation. So that's a, a, just a bit brief summary of what market did last year. So if you had invested in a global diversified portfolio, you would have done pretty well. That's good. That's good to hear. And I'm sure many of our clients would have experienced that themselves. You mentioned the word inflation because for the last 40 years or so, inflation has been fairly benign, I think it's fair to say. But last year it came back with a vengeance. And from where I'm sitting, uh, that looks to me as though that's the biggest danger to investors going forward. Absolutely. Inflation has been such a huge topic actually throughout last year. 
it, it didn't actually hurt markets significantly last year because um, there was expectation that this will all prove to be temporary. But I think uh, the Federal Reserve now is getting more and more concerned about inflation. In fact, Chairman Jay Powell, he said they should no longer use the word transitory. So obviously, I think the risk is still out there. So I think we have to understand what happened post-pandemic, why inflation has been driven so high. Well, I just think everything has gone wrong uh, about inflation on the demand and the supply side. On the one hand, you know, on the supply side, we had a lot of disruption because at the start of the pandemic, I think if you were a company, you you were actually anticipating a recession and you probably won't be stocking up, right? You won't be producing, you won't be stocking up because you anticipate that people would not be buying. But actually the opposite has actually happened. You know, people stayed at home and actually they kept their income because uh, there, there was quite generous support programs in both US and the UK. So they end up spending actually quite quite a lot at home, you know, buying stuff, creating their home office, et cetera. So actually demand was very strong at a time when companies actually have cut back. So you had that imbalance of demand and supply. So as a result, the goods prices just have surged. And another actually very important reason why a headline inflation rose is because of car car prices. So at one point in the US, the used car uh, sales price was up 60%. And that was really because there was a shortage of new cars. So, you know, when there was pandemic, people locked at home and they, they don't want to travel on the public transport. They have to buy more cars, but they couldn't get their hands on a new car. So they had to go for secondhand cars. So usually that that isn't a problem. It's a very small percentage of that uh, inflation index. But when it goes up by 60%, that that really impacts the headline. Yeah, it would be. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's very interesting. It happened in the UK as well, also double-digit double gain in the car price. Mm-hmm. And of course, energy played a huge role. Energy prices also have gone wrong. You know, we are transitioning to more renewable sources of energy. It will take many years. We are... We are doing that at the moment, but last year, the supply from renewables like the wind energy, the solar was actually not as good as expected. Mm. And yeah, so the, so there wasn't a renewable energy source that helped. And of course, OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, they were limiting supply because they thought there would be a recession. Yeah. And that we, we didn't get enough Russian natural gas supply because there had been political problems with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So it's still not ready yet. So as a result, we actually have got a lot of supply disruption from all front. Yeah. What about this year? So this year, what we think is that all of these factors will start to normalize. So I get, I think that is uh, something that is positive. We haven't seen that materializing yet because it would be play, played out throughout this year. If you look at the consensus inflation expectation from economists, which is basically you take an average of what they expect. Most economists expect inflation will trend down throughout this year. So, of course, we are now seeing high inflation, you know, 6.8% in the US, 5% in the UK. It may get worse before it gets better, but we generally expect inflation to gradually trend down to about 3% by the end of this year. So it's interesting you, you mentioned that because you mentioned the the Fed and and Mr Powell and his comments and some of the stuff I've certainly read about the Fed is they are getting a bit hawkish. They're talking about easing 
well, they don't call it quantitative easing over there, do they? They call it something else. And we've got the same thing here in this country, haven't we, where the Bank of England have said they want to begin to scale back on the support they've been providing the markets, which has created a lot of liquidity, which has boosted asset prices. Could we see a danger of markets perhaps not collapsing, but falling back if we see some of these things happening? Yes, um, I think this year we have to acknowledge that it wouldn't be as easy as last year. So generally speaking, the worry is justifiable because we had uh, quite a number of years of near zero interest rates. And actually, the Federal Reserve balance sheet now is $8.8 trillion. It is not right when we have unemployment rate in the U.S. at 3.9%. We have record job openings. We have 6.8% inflation. We, yeah. we just don't need that sort of monetary support. So I think it makes sense for the Federal Reserve to actually scale back some of the supportive measures. I think actually it is the right thing to do and it is the good thing to do. Um, what I think is the market reaction is that it, there, there would be a bit more volatility undoubtedly because supportive monetary policy is good for risk asset. And we had it very good for pretty much throughout 2021. What we expect is that there would be a bit more volatility, some pullback potentially, but generally overall the market should still continue to grind higher in 2021. And I'll explain why that is the case. Mm -hmm. First of all, markets already know this is going to happen. So usually the, when the news come out, there would be a little bit of wobble, right? Mm -hmm. But now it is actually being priced in by markets already. So if you mm -hmm. look at the market expectation for interest rates, it is matching that of the Fed. So expecting about three rate increases this year. So when it actually materialized, it shouldn't become a shock anymore because the Fed has communicated well. And if anything, if our expectation is right that inflation is coming down, they might actually have the chance to dial back some of that hawkishness in the second half of the year. Mm -hmm. So the first point is it is already being communicated, but that initial negative reaction may be realized. And secondly, I mean, if that's the that's the importance of diversification. So if you're particularly just invested in, say, all the high growth technology stocks or all the speculative parts of the market, you will face more problem because those need the Fed support and those usually you need very supportive liquidity generally. But if you're invested in a diversified portfolio, for example, and you actively manage um, by experts, usually your portfolio will be more balanced. And what we observe is that when we see rising interest rates and more normalization, the cyclical areas of the stock market do well. For example, at the start of the year, we had a bit of a pullback from the technology stocks, but actually the financial stocks, the energy stocks, did quite well. So overall, the market, if you look at it as a whole, it has actually been quite resilient, right? Even despite high inflation and a more hawkish Fed. So if you are invested in a diversified portfolio, you should be okay. And generally speaking, we still expect above trend growth in the economy. So yeah. in this environment, you still tend to see corporate earnings growth being pretty strong. Throughout 2021, the markets have actually tracked corporate earnings growth pretty well. So if we believe that corporate earnings will continue to grow, then you would expect the general market to keep grinding higher throughout 2022. And that's our base case. Okay. Okay. You mentioned something there, there Janet, about um, 
labor supply um, in the in the states that the, the unemployment level at th- I think you said three point six percent I think you mentioned three point nine in 3. the U- 3. US 3. at the moment in the, yeah. in the US at the moment which is which sounds remarkably low to me isn't that in itself a problem because if you have companies who are going to be facing increased demand and they haven't got the labor to support that demand surely that's going to push up wages without necessarily pushing up productivity and isn't that a more more of a problem for inflation going forward yes absolutely this is a risk um for sure because in the latest uh, u.s employment report we did see wages being quite sticky uh, mm-hmm. at 4.7 percent as the mm-hmm. unemployment rate dropped so this is a risk but what we think is that right now the labor market is still facing labor shortages and we anticipate that to gradually improve throughout the year. So what we will be looking for this year would be the labor force participation. It has been a bit disappointing. And I think some of the pandemic uh, related factors still would be affecting this. What we expect is that this year will be about normalization. Hopefully, hopefully, finally, we can, you know, be further away from the pandemic related disruptions and everything. So Hopefully, yeah. there would be more labor really going back into the labor market. That is what a lot of economists are expecting. So if we do have more labor going back into the market because of rising wages, which is attractive, yeah. because yeah. of less disruption from pandemic, less concern on pandemic, more normalization, then you normally should see wages going back to more normal levels. And then uh, it can actually prevent inflation from going through the roof. But I think you're, you're absolutely right. We do think that inflation could linger on higher than pre-pandemic, but we won't we won't be seeing the kind of you know seven percent of inflation persisting uh, for a long time, in our opinion. And I think that is, that is important. I, I might come across as being a bit of a hawk hedge, and it so forgive me. But but one of one of the problems I think is if companies at the moment fearing inflation and we there were reports at the weekend for example i think from next that they expect to put their prices up by five six percent come this coming autumn if they, if companies fear that inflation is here to stay that's going to encourage them to push their prices up and you then potentially get this risk of, of turbocharged inflation do you see that as being a problem or or am, am i just being far too pessimistic yes i think as a consumer it is normal to worry about this. Okay, so I think there are two angles. One is the investment angle, which uh, is very relevant to us. And what is the consumer angle? So as a consumer, you consume a basket of goods, which is measured by the headline CPI, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So your clothing bit would be part of the CPI basket. And what we have at the moment is 5% inflation. And a lot of that is driven by energy, which yeah. uh, may get worse before it gets better. So clothing... Yeah is part of that. So you may you may see a bit more upside there, but overall speaking, that basket of goods that you consume is mm. likely to see generally less inflation this year compared to the last. So in a way, everyone's experience of inflation could be a bit different, but generally as a basket of goods, what economists think is that the prices of that will be growing at a slow pace. I think because the energy component would just have to slow down this year. We have yeah. probably seen the worst of the energy crisis already. Um, so I think that is important because it really directly eats into people's pocket. You know, if you see the energy prices directly, more directly, right? 
like clothing, you can kind of not buy it <laughs> if yeah, you want. Yeah, so I think yeah, the most important true. bit bit would be energy, um, and that yeah. is likely to fall just from what we are seeing in the data at the moment. In terms of investors' perspective, and that is how we have always been saying that it is very important to keep invested. So for example, next, yeah. you mentioned that they are going to raise prices. So from an investor pr- perspective, it is a good thing because you, you see <laughs> company passing on higher costs instead of them yeah. sucking up the higher costs, which yeah. help them to maintain their margin. So as an investor, if I'm invested in that company, it's, it's something that is, yeah, it's a good yeah, thing a good that thing. I actually mm. want to see. Mm. Right. Um, so again, that applies to our investment philosophy. In this stage of the uh, macro environment, we think there will be a lot more volatility potentially, and there mm. could be persistent inflation. What mm. we want in our portfolio are companies that actually can maintain their margin, those that are able to pass on high costs. Not mm. every company will be able to do that. Only those mm. with you know the solid customer base, with enough size and yeah. good logistic. Uh, support, for example, that they can help them deal with potentially higher costs, help them manage their inventory, et cetera. Those would yeah. be the companies that we prefer. And that applies, you know, in the broader sense that we like sectors, companies that can pass on high costs to consumers. So yeah, you can view it both ways. So as an investor, I'm actually happy to see that companies can pass on high cost. Yeah, no, I can I can understand. And of course, the other thing to, to bear in mind is, is that the measurement of inflation depends upon the base that you're taking it from, doesn't it? So if, if yeah. we have seen, you know, high prices or prices rise now, um, the chances are that the increase in those prices come the end of the year won't be as high as they are now. So inflation will technically drop down because of a rebasing of the, the price in the first place. Um, yeah, sounds a bit That's simplistic, but, but it's very, and I think, yeah. People, <laughs> That's that how one. economists calculate the, well, the yeah, but people, uh, expectation. But, but the the average consumer out there doesn't necessarily think that way or realise that. Um, if we take take the fact that inflation will come under control one way or another over the next twelve months, we're probably going to have a volatile equity markets for the time being because none of us know quite what's around the corner with this pandemic, do we? Really, we could see good returns from the equity markets. But the fixed interest markets, perhaps not not so much? No, um, we may see another year of negative returns for fixed income because primarily because bond yields are going to rise. And why is that? Because usually, you know, you have the growth component and you have the inflation component, right? So inflation it's still going to be quite high. It will slow, but it will be quite high. And another component is growth, which is going to continue, right? It is still going to be above trend. Recovery is still continuing. So growth would be strong. And also directly related is the Federal Reserve policy. If, if they do hike rates three times this year, and also similarly for the Bank of England, if they do yeah. hike rates three times, then bond yields are very likely to rise. Right. Yeah. So because you have the you have, we have growth, yeah. we have inflation, we have central banks raising rates. So yeah. all of these factors suggest to us that bond yields will rise. And of course, as we know, higher uh, bond yields, lower bond price. So we won't be surprised to see another year of negative uh, bond returns. Right. So so it's very difficult when you when you're trying to put together a, a diversified portfolio with non-correlating assets. Um, traditionally, fixed interest has been quite a far, hard element of that. 
it's very hard to create an argument for it in the short term, isn't it? For fixed well, interest. The, yeah, the problem and and the reason is because bonds actually, if you look back at last year, when equities suffer, right? When when there was a, a kind of negative sentiment in the market, bond yields yeah. did fall. So yeah. the, the experience and the lesson learned is that when there was a market drawdown, mm. bonds did work as a diversifier. But mm. because last year equities return was really good, so bond deals actually, I mean, bonds actually uh, delivered negative return. So mm. they still have a negative correlation, if you yeah. if you get what I mean. So, yes, I do. Uh, yeah. so if you have a diversified portfolio, because of that positive equity return, you would have done pretty well last year. But yeah. it doesn't mean that you should dispose all of your bonds because they no. did help when the market had the drawdown. But, you know, you, we never know. Right. So when there was market weakness, the bonds actually helped a bit. So mm -hmm. I think it still serves its purpose, even though we are not particularly excited about the returns. But when you want it to work, it, it could be quite helpful, actually. But that's right. why we are under we underway. I mean, we have bonds. But we we don't have a huge position at the moment. As a matter of, as a matter of interest, is is that um, are the bonds that Bruin Dolphin are generally holding are they are they government backed bonds or are they corporate ones in the main? Yes. So actually, within the bond space, there is a lot of active selection as well because, as you know, bonds we have the developed market government bonds, which is US and UK government yeah. bonds. Yeah. And there are also corporate bonds, which invest in the bonds issued by corporates. And yeah. you generally tend to get a better return because you have a, you have a spread above yeah. the government bonds. So we have yeah. corporate bonds from the UK and the US as well. Mm. And we also have inflation-linked bonds, which mm -hmm. the coupon payments are linked to inflation. And actually, inflation-linked bonds delivered positive return last year. Uh, yeah. within the bond category. So we had invested in, uh, in inflation-linked bonds in the US mm. and in, in the UK, which has done well. So um, there is actually a lot of active selection beneath the surface of our bond holdings. So we still have a relative overweight position in the inflation-linked bonds at the moment, and we are underweight on our government bonds. Corporate bonds, we are a bit neutral at the moment. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's good to know and interesting to know. Before I, I, I wind up, because this has been interesting conversation so far, can I just cover, cover the last couple of years to a certain extent? There's been a, a great deal of talk around what's called environmental, social governance issues when it comes to in, to investing money. Do you think this is just a um, short term fad or is this something that is here to stay? Going it is something that is here to stay, in our opinion. I think there are a number of reasons why. And a lot of that, I think, is because of regulation. Um, yeah. Because, first of all, uh, governments are setting tougher and tougher net zero emission targets. Uh, as we all know from the COP26, which was held in Glasgow, yeah. Uh, a number of commitments have been made. It's not perfect, but you know there are commitments that countries have to adhere to. It's not 
like there's a punishment if you don't, but no. countries generally we have to. And especially in the developed world in Europe, which is really a leader in all these uh, ESG issues, it is just an unstoppable trend because of regulation. Companies have to comply. And also there's also this uh, self-policing element. For example, just take an example, in the asset management industry, most reputable and responsible asset managers and wealth managers would have signed up to some of these uh, responsible statements or initiative to help with uh, net carbon emission Mm -hmm. or net zero Mm -hmm. target, like very Mm -hmm. often we have signed up. So Mm -hmm. it it is a peer pressure, which is a good thing, because if, mm. if there's no mechanism, then no one is going to adhere to it. So mm. it is the regulation and the self-policing and all these initiatives that will push this agenda further forward. And of course, I think there's also this consumer element as well. I think more and more consumers actually want to do the good thing. Yeah, They want a more sustainable uh, economy, want more and better environment. They don't want to see so much wastage. I think all of that is a multi-year trend. I think, for example, electric cars, it was the only bright spot in 2021 last year, actually. The the sales of electric car has been really, really strong, even during the pandemic. And this trend is just unstoppable because of the various regulations and consumer preference changes, etc. So I, I, I believe that because of the various forces uh, the ESG and the you know, environmental uh, investing, it, it will be a secular thing. It won't be just a near-term thing. If anything, it will accelerate, I think. Do you know, I think I think there's a podcast all of its own on just that, to be quite honest, and, and what, what quantifies net zero and how do we get to that and future electric cars and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, we'll leave that for another day, I think. Janet, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. That's been really, really helpful. Um, I hope that uh, our listeners will have enjoyed hearing your comments and your views. And I hope that we can invite you back to join us again at some time in the future. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. That's okay, Janet. That's marvellous. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. And we hope to see you again soon.